Thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan. Today I'm sitting down with a person that I met for the first time, just today, in person anyway. I've yep. uh, been friends for, I guess, two months now on Facebook, uh, Jonathan Seavey. So Jonathan and I got acquainted because in August, when I went to visit... Um, my hometown of Tonkanic, I went and interviewed a man named Master Kevin Robinson. And I was talking to him and he said, hey, do you know who this guy is? Uh, Jonathan Seavey. So, nope, never, never, never met him. Haven't, haven't seen him yet. So anyway, we got in touch on Facebook yep. uh, through him and of course, Drew Hobbs, who we both know, yep. uh, old high school buddy of mine. And you happened to come to Okinawa. That's right. What, second, third time now? This fourth is my time? fourth time. Fourth time. Yep. So uh, we got in touch, and we're sitting down today to do a formal interview. Formal interview, yeah. It's actually really funny when Master Robinson reached out to me. Literally, like, I think you guys left the dojang, and he was, like, texting me. He was like, do you know this guy, Josh Simmers? I was like, nope, never heard of him. <laughs> no. He's like, you should look him up. He's he's really cool. You should yeah. talk to him and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know about that, but... Yeah. I was like, well, I, well, I started, like... Um, kind of stalking your Facebook a little yeah. bit before we actually yeah. became friends. It's like, ah, oh, we've got a lot of, like, friends Mutual and comments. Friends, yeah. 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 And I was like, wow, it's really weird that somebody from where I grew up, like, has kind of done the same path that yep. I have a little bit and, you know, come to Okinawa and, yep. and done this. So Small town, right? Yeah, I really mean, small town. Very small town, Tonkanic. Yeah. So, let's start there. Sure. Um, I I grew up in Tonkanic, yep. graduated in 94, and then mm -hmm. I haven't lived there yeah. since, right? And when I was living there, I did not train under uh, Master Robinson. I trained in a different dojo mm -hmm. in town. Like I said, there was, I think, only two at the time. Two, yeah. And there might only be two now. It's a very small town, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it literally had to do with finances. Yep. The other dojo was cheaper. Yep. That's where my parents sent me, right? Uh, but I knew Drew and uh, a few other people that... I went to school with at the time, graduated with, were training there. Um, and then when I got back, I, I bumped into him this summer and uh, kind of said, hey, don't you want to invite me uh, to, to the dojo? <laughs> so got to go in. And it's interesting, another man that you're not originally from Tonkanic, but what's the tie back there? So, I well, I'm from upstate New York. Uh, and then I moved in with my mom, who was living in Springville. Okay. And then we moved from Springville. Another small town. Right? Another small town. small town. Yeah. So we moved from there. Well, actually, technically Dimmick, but I don't yeah. know if that's on yeah. the map. So it, 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 I know where it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we moved from Dimmick to Lawton. Okay. Another really small town. Yep. You know, there's no karate in that area whatsoever. Um, but I... I really wanted to get involved with karate after watching Enter the Dragon yep. with my stepdad. He was like, you know, watch this. And I got instantly hooked in and I had asked my mom if I could sign up for karate. And she said, well, there's a school in Springville and it's Krieski's Tongsudo School. Okay. And I knew Mrs. Krieski because she was a substitute teacher at Elk Lake where I went to okay. school. I didn't go to Tunkanic, I went to okay. Elk Lake. And there was already like... Um, a relationship that wasn't so great between uh, Master Kryeski and myself. It's much better now, okay. right? But at the time, it's just, you know, she was kind of a very strict substitute teacher, mm -hmm. so I was just like, I just don't like you, you know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you want a substitute teacher, it's going to be cool, right? You know, some strict yep. person. So we bypassed uh, Springville and went to Tunkanic, and um, we were actually going to Walmart, the, the old Walmart before yeah, you know, yeah. we moved. And, yep. 
uh, we happened to pass by Master Robinson School, and it was across the street from where it is now. Yep. It was above a radio yes, shack. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we saw the the information on the door. So we stopped and took down the information, and I think it was the following Tuesday that I went to my first class with him, and I just was just like going in the atmosphere like really just drew me in you know it was exactly what i wanted yeah uh there was an adult class that was already happening and i mean when i walked in they're all out and like shikudachi you know they're throwing their punches and kiaing and stuff i was like this is amazing like this is i want to be here so i i wish i wish um i had the opportunity to train with him back in the day because um just the one class that i visited um the the man's passion uh, for teaching his passion for life. I, yeah. I, I mean, we talked for over two hours, mm-hmm. probably two and a half hours, I think. I felt like I was there forever. I, I kept him way after class, but he's just an, a remarkable yeah. individual, you know, and then to think about that type of uh, interaction going back into the students, it, yeah. it's something special about that place. So Yeah, it, it, there really is. And I, like, I kind of had forgotten about that until earlier this year when I got to go back and visit again. And it was a kind of a surreal moment for me because I went back not as a student, but a, a, in a teaching capacity. I didn't want to go and do that. I actually mm-hmm. asked if I could just come to class and, you know, he kind of scoffed and was like, no, uh, you're going to come and you're going to teach a class and, you know, share what you've been learning because yep. he's been following my travels via Facebook and whatnot. So it was weird to go back in a teaching capacity, but you know, seeing all these people that I looked up to that were black belts way above me yeah. at that point in time, and they're just coming up and just showing me the highest level of respect. Yeah. That's one thing that I will say about that dojang is always just the most respectful people, and when they're there, they work. Yeah, you know, they're they're committed to what they're doing yeah. there. Yep. So it blew me away because, uh, like I, I told Master Robinson, I mentioned to you there was no air conditioning. Yeah. And they they were working. You know, mm-hmm. I came out of there pouring sweat. Yep. As if I was here in Okinawa. Yeah. And I, it's not what I expect to go in there. Yeah. You know? So you trained with him um, up until you graduated high school, or even after? Uh, or actually, just that... just before I graduated high school, I actually moved to Virginia okay. my senior year of high school, the beginning of my senior year of high school. So okay. I graduated in two thousand and four. Um, so I moved to Virginia. 2000, summer of 2003. Okay. Yeah. And I started there. There was no Tongsudo anywhere in that area. I looked, I looked, I looked, but I found another local karate school and it was, they were calling it Shorinjiryu Karate. Okay. And it was almost the same like kata syllabus as Tongsudo. So I kind of just like fell into the okay. groove pretty easily and I stayed there for a while. Um, but. Did okay. they have a, a link? Back to Japan or Okinawa? Yeah, so it was called Shoten Jiryu because that's there's there's a lot of different Shoten Jiryu, yep, yeah, and Okinawa. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, they did. So there there was a student uh, who left Japan and came to the U.S. and his name was Ogawa. I can't remember his full name, but okay. I know it was Ogawa, and he opened up a school in Virginia. And I guess he was tasked with kind of expanding mm-hmm. but he never did like he just like <laughs> and it, I actually went to his dojo a couple of times and it's really if you don't know where you're going a, a lot like the schools here in Okinawa right? yeah, yeah. if you don't know where you're going you're going to miss it right because right? it looks it, it says lawnmower repair on the sign and stuff it doesn't even <laughs> yeah. say karate you know <laughs> so, like 
so I went into this like this, this dojo and I mean it was smaller than you know this living space that we're in right now okay. it was very very small no lights it was all uh, you know like those extension cord string lights yeah you know yeah wow and so pretty and he's in there and he's just like chain smoking lucky strikes the whole time while he's teaching I'm like what is what is going on in wow here? okay yeah so that was like the the link but um, after the Tana Takamori died his son Miki Takamori was like kind of took over and after his father passed away like he said there's no more like branch dojos anymore they were just were just here and that was in Kagoshima Japan. Okay. okay. Yep. So they said no more branch dojos. So everybody who's outside kind of lost their affiliation, and people were trying to like scramble and you know kind of find their path for you know continuation, advancement, mm -hmm. whatever they needed. And so my own personal stuff going on at the same time that I had to leave the dojo that I was at with uh, Sensei Jerry, and I ended up kind of just taking a year away from any dojo and just kind of training by myself but you know working and you know mm -hmm. figuring life out at newly living by myself and that kind of stuff and another gentleman who was from the same dojo reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in starting a dojo with him and his son I was like yeah I mean it could be fun you know you got a location like let's let's go I've been really missing mm -hmm. that class experience and you know mm -hmm. the camaraderie so let's go so we opened up a school there in uh, about two miles away from where I lived in um, Hayes Virginia okay yep and so about six months into us having this dojo it got infested with mold. Ugh. Yeah, really. Like the and the the property owners refused to do an abatement. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we had to like, <laughs> so we uprooted like all of our students, and we were sharing a space with a dance studio, and so we were there for several years, and again, kind of figuring out how we were going to continue to advance ourselves. So we kind of linked in to a like umbrella organization within the US that's like well you know we're kind of the same situation where all these schools don't have affiliation so they're just affiliating with each other and they're trying to like lift each other up yeah. and it's a cool thing and then not so great thing all in the same you know stroke here one is you've got people that are promoting other people that are not from their same style and that's kind of yeah that's rough right yeah. like it's it's just not good and i i had a, a strong aversion to that just because and you know a lot of them didn't but anyways long story long again here we had a disagreement and i kind of fell away from that pack and uh, a friend of mine who was in that same vein reached out to me and was like hey you know i know you do all these kata but you also know goju do kata like let's link up with my sensei down in florida and so the goju kata got introduced to you then from um the second dojo that you were at there in in Virginia, yeah, not directly. Okay. Um, I started competing a lot. So when I was in Tongsudo, they don't compete outside of their own organization. Oh, right. They but they do compete, but they don't. It's only against Tongsudo people. Okay, which is okay. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would go and compete with them all the time. But then when I left and came to Virginia, I wanted to jump in and compete again. So I started competing with the AAU Karate Amateur Athletic Union okay. Karate and they have like 
you know, the state, regional, and national championships. And it was, at that point in time, really big. But doing the kata that I was doing here, the like the shurite-based kata, it was just not quite enough. Like, okay. I mean, it was, like the kata were good, but we just needed more yep. than what we had. So we started learning... Like I started learning Shotokan kata, I started doing unsu, you know, um, all all the popular kata. Yep. So I started learning some goju kata. I started learning uh, seipai, um, kururufa, and tsukunpe. Okay. So they're like the harder ones to learn. Yes. The the yep. other ones they kind of yep. you know. So I learned and big in the uh, competition scene. Yes, right? in yeah. the competition scene. So that's kind of how I picked up the goju kata, and then I, I kind of filled in some gaps here and there, and then. I went down to Florida and trained with uh, Sensei Ray Pete and his son Nick, and their other uh, like assistant instructor at the time. His name was Richard Mustafa, and now he's like uh, equal partners with Sensei Ray in the dojo. Okay. So it's pretty cool. So was there for a week training. That Friday, uh, Sensei Ray had me do a test. And he gave me my shodan in Gojuryu. <laughs> I was like, all right, this is kind of cool, I yeah. guess. <laughs> and um, he was like, yeah. He's like, so if you're with me now, like, Goju is your path. Like, let's go. Like, really, really focus on making your karate better by doing it more Goju specific. And okay. start breaking some of your like, previous systems habits and okay. developing your, your karate. And so he gave me, like... Uh, another certificate which was like a permission to begin teaching goju in my own dojo because i was already own, operating my own dojo at this time in virginia um so i started teaching goju in virginia and i brought him to virginia the following year uh just because i was like well you know i'd like for you to see my students and mm -hmm. you know get some more information and mm -hmm. you know this is still pretty new so he came and he saw what i was doing with my students and he was like whoa you have done a really good job with like the information that I gave you mm -hmm. he's like we've still got to work on some stuff still got to mold it a little bit but really really great job and so he, at the end of 2016 he was coming to Okinawa he's like I want you to come to Okinawa with me and you know meet the conchos and senseis here and, and oh, okay. do the training so that was my introduction to Okinawa 2016 yeah okay yeah all right october uh matter of fact i was here in okinawa do uh during the guinness book of world records kata i participated in that i was there yeah, oh, oh, yeah. probably even saw each other as like, hey, <laughs> yeah. yeah fuki kata each right yeah you got each, yep almost four thousand yeah it was three thousand just shy of four thousand just shy uh yeah. people so your first time coming here to Okinawa was in 2016, but prior to that, you were uh, pretty embedded in the competition uh, yeah. in the U.S. Yeah. with the AAU. With AAU Karate. Kata and Kumite at this time? At that point in time, yeah, I was doing Kata and Kumite because that was just a, a prerequisite we had to. Like our okay. the sensei in the U.S. was like, if you're going to... Actually, I did Kata, Kumite, and Kobudo. Okay. Yeah. And I did... I, I got national champion a couple times for Kumite. I, I think I may have medaled once or twice in kata, but I never really... I don't enjoy kata competition. Um, I So, okay, even with today's standards, looking at kata competition, I can see people that are really, really good. Like mm -hmm. we were uh, speaking about Kuna a little mm -hmm. while ago. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at him and being like, wow, your kata is excellent. Mm -hmm. 
but there's also stuff where I see his kata and I'm like, okay, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing that mm-hmm. you're doing as far as like application goes or, um, that's the other side of it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, and I, and I know that if I got up and did a kata, I would be doing it true to Shobukan lineage now. Yeah. And somebody who's not from Shobukan lineage is going to judge it and be like, well, it's wrong because yeah. we practice, you know, JKF or yeah. whatever. And I'm like, okay, but they're not the same. So how can we really compare them? They're still beautiful. They're, st- they're still correct. Yep. You know, how are, how are we really to determine winning and losing? Yep. So. Yep. So your sensei in Florida is still uh, uh, affiliated with the, sh- the Shobokan? Yes, he is. Okay, and that is what got you started with coming here yeah. um, the first time in 2016. Let's talk about that. Would you? What did you think when you were coming to Okinawa? What, what ex- expectations did you have? Did they come true? What things did... You know, I, I was really nervous um, because... Again, I I kind of just came into the Goju-Ru like family. Um, I was doing my best with it, but I knew that like I still was carrying a lot of habits from my previous styles and stuff like that. That I I wasn't at a place where I could separate them yet. Mm-hmm. And Sensei Ray, he was very reassuring. He was like, you know, just go in there and just you know just show them what you've been showing me. You're you're gonna do fine. It's gonna be great. You know, just just go and do it. So. We got here, and the Okinawans and the other members, we had, I think there was like 11 of us that came that year. The Okinawans and the other members of Shobukan that came from the U.S., they were all very, like, relaxed with each other and very, like, you know, they're joking and being playful and stuff. But every time, like, I would go by them, they're they very, like, you know, and I was like, like what they hate me like what have i done i they hate me so much right now and i i went through the like the whole we were here for 11 days that trip and i went through 10 of those days just thinking that they just hated me i was having a really like bad time i was like oh my gosh what am i doing wrong so we would train from uh like 10 o'clock in the morning till about one o'clock in the afternoon we'd take a break go you know mm-hmm. do some tourist stuff and then we'd come back to the dojo again like from seven to 10 o'clock 11 o'clock at night and do more training so like during that gap i was spending my time just like training more because i was like i, I just got to get it right you know i have to like make it perfect and and do exactly what they're telling me to do in the dojo they're yeah. they're critiquing me so much i thought i was good that apparently i suck yeah, you know yeah. but then like i got to a point towards the end i kind of wish i would have realized it a little bit earlier that everybody's getting that critique the critique is a good thing. It's just how we're all growing. Um, it's probably mostly in my head, you know. And then we did uh, a test. And I didn't know that I was going to be being tested because, I, like I said, I just got promoted to my Shodan in Goju. I was already a, a Yondan in uh, fourth degree in uh, Shorinjiu. Okay. So I, I dropped down to my Shodan and was coming back up. So that Friday night, we did a test. And they promoted me twice in the same night I, they gave me my nidan and sandan at the same time wow yeah and they also gave me like their official license to teach when i go back home wow so that i was like completely blown away by just receiving that i was like oh shit like maybe i'm not doing so bad like this is okay and then the following morning we had to get up and do kobudo testing and i had zero rank in kobudo like 
white belt. Mm-hmm. And they promoted me to my sandan, my third degree, wow. uh, that same day. So I was like, this is a lot. The Kobodo uh, promotion that you received that time, was that part of Shobokan or was that part of the, Ren- the Zen Okinawa uh, Kobodo Renme? So the Shobokan doesn't have its own Kobodo. Okay. They, like uh, the, the Renme, the Kobodo Renme, and Shobokan are like together. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it was through the the Zenokinawa Kobodo Renme. Fantastic. Yeah. Wow. That is quite the trip, man. Yeah. It really like yeah. I went home just like I, I don't think I stopped smiling the whole flight yeah. home. Like I think like I got off the plane. I was like, ah, my face hurts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like smiling so hard. Yeah, it's interesting so. you mentioned too that you felt like you were being critiqued so much, but didn't realize that other people were also being critiqued. Yeah. Uh, that uh, that's a lot of times that's how we feel like man why is sensei being so hard on me you yeah. know but you kind of take a step look back and everybody's getting the same thing yeah every, everybody is and it's something that I feel every time I come here too uh, I get critiqued a lot and so the first time I came I came with a group but every time I've come after that I've been by myself and I get you know so I, I can't look around and see everybody else getting critiqued because I'm the only one in the dojo at the time mm. so it's just like oh my gosh I'm then I have to kind of remind myself you know this is why we're here we're not here to get like a pat on the back and be like hey you're doing a good job like what's the point of even coming I want to get better so I want that critique so that's good mm-hmm. yeah so the main senseis then that you train in at the uh, Shubukan are? Um, so who's in charge is Kancho Masashi Shinjo, who is the oldest son of Masanobu Shinjo. And then his brother, Takeshi Sensei. Um, and then their like senior advisor to them is Takshi Sensei, Seiki Takshi Sensei. And he's a 10th uh, degree Goju and Koburo. Yeah. Okay. How many people do they have uh, in a typical class, a typical training night? I'll be honest, I don't know. I have never been in one of their typical classes. Oh, really? Yeah. And all the times that you've come here, it's been... Every time I come here, they, they either shut down the dojo, um, and it's just, like, I train with them, or they have me do stuff with the kids for kumite, because they know, like, I do mm-hmm. a lot of kumite stuff. So a lot of times I'm teaching kumite, and then... Maybe it's like one or two other black belts that are there working with me. Okay. Um, but I think on a like a regular night, I think there's probably like 10 to 15 yeah. you know, people. So, so um, I was just, were you surprised to, to know that, that they're so, compared to American dojos, right? Yeah. Many American dojos are 10, 15, well, more than 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, yeah. right? Uh, Okinawan dojos that we were talking earlier, it's not uncommon to only have 10 yeah. people in there. Sometimes yeah. less, right? Yeah. Did, was that surprising to you when you first got here, or did your sensei in America maybe explain that? So, I, it's funny because I actually got no uh, like warning of anything, any kind. It was just kind of like, they just threw me into the deep end. They're like, okay, go, you know? Sometimes that's better. Uh, right? Yeah, I think so, too. Um, but I was a little surprised. I thought it was going to be um, more because I've been to mainland dojos in the past, and I thought it was going to be more like that, where it's you know everything is like immaculate. You know, there's everybody lines up with like precision, and you know it's just it's not that's not the Okinawan way. You know, it's it's a much different here. Uh, our dojo is it's pretty small. I, you know, more than ten people, more than fifteen people would be 
too many. Uh, okay. It really would be. Yep. We'd have to kind of, we'd have to take turns training. Yeah. yeah. It's that way when we go down to Shirty to train with uh, Kina Kaicho as well. Yeah. Eight people, um, and we're already running out of space. Yeah. You know, but we have the outside lawn uh-huh. area. It's a, it's a very old style. Um, grassy area, a little bit of sand here and there, and that's where we usually do um, weapons training. Oh, cool. Uh, and years and years ago, that's where they did most of the kumite, hmm. was out there uh, in Makiwara, and they had tires hanging from trees and stuff and beat on it, but yeah, yeah. so kumite, mm-hmm. when did you get involved with WKF? When did you get involved with that type of competition? That was prior to your goju training or no it wasn't actually so you know i started competing when i was in pennsylvania with master robinson and my competition kind of grew as i moved out and started competing with aau aau is not a style specific competition but it is karate specific mm-hmm. so that kind of grew there and then i, I stopped i i stopped competing in AAU and took like a big break and then we got involved in that umbrella organization that I was discussing and they had their like world championships and it would be in different places in the world throughout the you know every every other year or whatever um, and in 2011 I got invited to go and compete down in the, the Dominican Republic um, to represent like the US contingency Wow. So I went down there and I competed in Kata, Koburo, and Kumite, and Team Kumite. So I got second place in Kata, which I was really surprised in. I was like, what? Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And then I got disqualified in my first round in Kumite for excessive contact. Okay. So yeah, that was, that was a big thing. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna, I got follow up questions about that. Okay. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, first place in Koburo, uh, which I really didn't expect because with this umbrella organization, there's a lot of people that come in that are kind of non traditional. So there was this dude out there who was doing like double nunchaku and he was doing like backflips and stuff. I was like, I'm gonna go out there and do a traditional bokata and let's see what happens, mm-hmm. you know. And I ended up getting first and he got second. So I was like, well, that's really cool. And then you know I got to compete in Team Kumite and. It was like three versus three. Yep. And I went last. And the person who went first won his match. This person who went second lost his match. And it was like up to me to to win it. And like I just kind of steamrolled that guy that I was competing against. It was like six to zero or something like that. Like quickly too. So I got invited to come back the following year in Panama. And that was the last time that I actually competed. I, I won for Team Kumite. I won for individual kumite. I did not even place in kata, like just not even close. And then I didn't do kobudo because I didn't want to bring a weapon with me yeah. to Panama. So after that, I was like, you know, I just, I think I'm kind of done with competition. I, I just kind of wasn't feeling. What it anymore. year was this? 2012. Okay. Yep. I just really did not feel like competing anymore. It was a huge draw of time away from you know other things that I kind of wanted to focus on. So fast forward a couple years, 2015, 2016, karate gets voted into the Olympics. Everybody's talking about WKF karate and, you know, the good, the bad, everybody's battling, you know, that's the worst decision ever made, that's the best decision ever made. I really didn't care about that, but I kind of was looking at, I started looking at the talent that was out there and I was like, 
there's some really good athletes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are out there competing, both kata and kumite. There's some, like, way better than what I remember back when I was competing. So I started talking with my now wife. She was, we were just dating at the time. And I was like, you know, I think, I think I could do okay if I, like, jumped back in and started competing with these guys. But I would have to really, like, dedicate a, a separate training time to, like, get in that level of shape. And we kind of went back and forth with it, with each other. You know, should I do it? Should I not? You know, and, you know, I was already running my dojo and, you know, trying to figure stuff out. And finally, we got to a point where we're like, you know what? You only live once, you know, yep. let's let's go and let's do it. Let's let's make the best run that we can make and let's let's do it. So I linked up with another sensei who lives in Virginia. His name is uh, Kyoshi Brian Hobson. Okay, yeah. Uh, I know him from online. Yeah, yeah. he's a shorter new guy. Um, really, really just nice, nice guy. And yeah. probably my favorite Shodanru practitioner. His whole dojo, I love their, their karate, yeah. Um, so I linked up with his um, competition team and started training with them. And then I was like, oh, I'm pretty far off the mark here. Like, I've really got to put in some grind here. You know, mm-hmm. I got really, really got to step it up because the just even the style of fighting has evolved into something different than what it was so we just hours and hours and hours of work and then i my first wkf tournament was actually here on okinawa in 2017 okay yep november 2017 i came that was my first one Uh, i pulled japan in the first round and i lost one to zero and i was like one to zero that's not so bad like Hey, and it was Japan in Japan. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, like, yep, yep. it's okay. And uh, so we, I left, and you know, well, actually, I stayed here for another two weeks after that training, and then I left and just got back to the training, and I started doing better, like in the local levels, and you know, I started making a lot of friends that were coaches and athletes in that elite category mm-hmm. all over the world, and you know, I I did every Series A WKF that I could go to because the way the ranking structure works, there's Series A's, Premier Leagues, and then World Championships. Um, And it's not progressive. Like if I do a Series A, I don't get to go to Premier League. Like you have to be ranked top 100 to be eligible to compete at a Premier League. Okay. I my first Okinawa, you know, one of the first one that I competed in Okinawa, I think I was ranked like 1600. So, it's a, oh, wow. yeah, it's a lot of wow, holy cow. Yeah. Okay. So, by to the end of 2018, I had bumped up. I was uh, in the the like higher 300s because I started accumulating points from every event that I went to okay. and stuff. And, you know, the, the top 100 was kind of like in sight. I was like, you know, if I go and I started doing the math in my head, I was like, you know, if I go and I do this, I could, you know, I could potentially make top 100 by this day and I could start competing in premier leagues. Um, at this point in time, also, I realized Olympics was just off the table for me. You know, I just started way too late and yep. the people that are in the top tier, the top 10, they're not going anywhere, you yeah. know. Nobody's dethroning them at this point right, in time. Right, right, yeah. So my my goals kind of shifted a little bit to just I want to make top 100, and, and, you know, I think that's a pretty cool thing to do. Oh, yeah. Um, and then I got injured, <laughs> <laughs> which we were talking about, yeah. too, you know. So uh, shortly after that, oh, so my last tournament, I was competing in the minus 67 kilo division, which okay. is like 147 pounds or something like that. So I, I had to cut 
a lot of weight and I was just really I'm a skinny guy already but I was really yeah. skinny and my wife didn't like that too much yeah. but so I told her that I was gonna jump up two weight classes after my injury because it was just easier um, so that's what I did I, I started competing in the minus 84 and I competed in two more WKF events after that one in Austria and then one in Montreal and after Montreal I really kind of like my knee was really messed up um, and I fought a, a guy from the name of a guy from Brazil by the name of what is his name I can't think of it oh Diego Silva yeah okay. really really good fighter and a heavy hitter yeah. so we're talking about getting disqualified yes that, yeah that's you're not going to see that really happen you're you're kind of expected to take that hit and get you know come back to the line now you know you draw in WKF mm -hmm. the Kumite mm -hmm. that you wear mitts you wear mitts, um, shin guards, and boots. Okay. Mouth guard. And they have a chest protector now, but it's not like... Um, people see it and they're like, oh, they're, you know, wusses because they're wearing chest protectors. I mean, it is like a piece of cloth that is, yeah. you know, it's... Because you got to be able to move in the darn thing. you got to be able to move yeah. in it. you got to be able to breathe in it. And really, if you look at what Kumite was back in, like, the later 90s, early 2000s, even, even the 70s and 80s, you watch them, everybody's wearing, like, heavy dogi right mm -hmm. like what you would think of as a kata dogi yes. now yeah yeah that the kumite dogi is paper thin yeah. you know they're making them as thin as possible and you know just as light as can be the amount of protection that the chest protector offers is probably about the same as what a heavier dogi is <laughs> <Okay>. offering you <laughs> so, so all right. yeah it's not like a i mean you get hit you still feel it Okay. I still really feel it. All right. Yeah. So it's not um, what we call tsundome then. Tsundome is what we are seeing in, uh, or maybe is it? Um, tsundome is what I would describe as to it, not through it. You you can hit, but then you have to retract. If you if you go through the opponent's head, let's say, and you don't retract right away, yeah. That's not a point, and you can become you can get disqualified. Um, so WKF is is not that style then. So with WKF, you'll okay. Again, that's it. Kind of boils down to referee training. Okay. And I think some of them. I might be getting myself in a little bit of trouble here, but I don't think a lot of the referees are as well trained as they should be yeah. some of them let stuff go and then the next match they're like oh no that's a you know you. you know what i mean yeah, yeah so you might see somebody who really just blasts somebody and they're you know laid out on the ground if that person gets back up within 10 seconds and comes back to the line you know they, they might not get anything no warning but they might get a point you know okay the corner referees they're not allowed to call fouls right they can only call so if i get if i blast somebody as hard as i can in the head right the corner referees have to call the point that they saw but not a foul and then the the head referee has to ask was do you guys don't think that was like too hard and then they can uh, say it was a contact or whatever okay yeah but i don't i especially in the past like year i've seen less and less contact fouls being called for heavier hits okay yeah and WKF is what we're going to see in the Olympics? Yes, WKF. That's is, who's going to yeah, sanction it? Or yeah, that is, is the right? governing body. It's governing body, okay. Yeah. All right. So it might be some really good kumite then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a guy from Japan right now who is just 
I mean, this dude came out of nowhere and is just like lighting the world on fire. Uh, his name is Ken Nishimura. Uh, he's in the minus 75 division and he is just cleaning up. Um, in the past few years, a guy in that division was Rafael Agaev. And people were like, hey, nobody's going to beat Agaev. Yeah. And then Ken came along and he's a tall, skinny, lanky guy that's fast and can fight and is pretty cocky, yeah. you know? So, yeah, he's, wow. he's doing a good job. He, he, he should provide a good match yeah good um, be interesting because i per, on a personal level i'm a little bit torn about it yeah. in the olympics um i think there's gonna be good and bad that come come out of it yeah uh it's not my personal style of training yeah even for the kata mm-hmm. um kind of like what you were describing earlier about um looking at something like shubukan Specific, not specific, but yeah, kind of is different, right? And yeah. the technique, the applications that are that you can see in that kata yeah. or something, um, versus Kuna and Rio to you, yeah, amazing speed, yeah. great body control, yeah. It's not my, it's, it's not my cup of tea, and I don't, I don't mind saying that, right? Um, yeah. because people don't like what I do sometimes. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, you know you. I, I get conflicted with this all the time because one, I, I absolutely love Gojiju. I love yep. the Shobukan family and everything like that. But you know, the more I read, the more I learn, the more I kind of understand that like the founding fathers of karate, they never really meant for there to be styles. Yeah. Right. It yeah. was just this is what we do, yeah. and if you can learn something else, learn something else. Right. And when I look at modern day kata competitors, they're sort of embodying that because they're doing goju-do, they're doing, you know, shitoryu or... It's a very good point. You know, yeah. they're, they're just kind of it's making a good this, way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. May it's not an be, interesting way to look at it. I, haven't, I have not thought about that, but you're right. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, we were looking at the videos earlier, mm-hmm. right? Um, that the Boomkan is putting up. Yeah. Uh, and going through those videos, it's interesting to me. Now, now the masters that are demonstrating there are mostly in their 60s or 70s, mm-hmm. right? So their their uh, body movements are maybe a little bit slower, and it is a demonstration. Sure, um, they're slower than maybe when they were in their 40s, right? Yeah. Or what we're seeing now. So, but watching their their rhythm and watching their uh, uh, techniques that they're demonstrating is very different than what we see in a lot of the tournaments now, too. Yeah, uh, and it just—I just kind of sit there and wonder, like, what would they think if they saw what's what's taking place you now? Know, I think about that a lot too, and I—I I often wonder my, to myself if if they saw it, like if Miyagi Sensei saw like yeah. somebody doing a modern day, you know, superempe the way they're doing it on the tournament circuit, would he be like, "Yep, this person really gets it," or would yeah. they be like? What are you doing? You know, yeah. like this is way off the mark. But at the same time, karate can't be stagnant. It like can't. it has to evolve. And yep. It has to. It has to go somewhere, and it has to go the path of least resistance. Yep. And I think for a long time, competitive karate has been that path of least resistance yeah. for a lot of people to go and and kind of test out what they can do as athletes, how far they can push themselves yeah. with their karate, what they can do to um, develop a more scientific approach to training and understanding of biomechanics. Yep. So, yep. I, yeah. Especially at a younger age. Yeah, especially at a younger do age. Do what you can. Yeah. Yeah, we talk about this a lot, too, um, with some of my friends back home that are frustrated with 
uh, let's just say the Shoren Khan, right? Shoren Ruf, Shoren Khan. They were looking at a lot of the younger people today are moving like an 80-year-old Nakazato sensei. And you're like, well, he's moving that way because he's 80. You're 20. Like, uh, adjust, you know, push yourself and get into deeper stances or, you know, uh, faster punches or, you know, whatever. So... You know, just because you're looking at an older master on a video or something like that doesn't mean that's how you should do it. Yeah. Yep. We run into that in our style as well. Yeah. And, and it's funny because you mentioned uh, the older senseis, the older masters uh, were not Ryu specific or maybe didn't have this idea mm-hmm. of views, right? And that's that's the foundation of Okinawa Kempo. Yeah. Uh, there's there's just Okinawa fist, right? Right. Um, although our kata is mostly based off of Shodan Ryu yeah. kata. If you look into your crystal ball, what's the future look like for you? So, dealing with a little injury right now, but I've actually been speaking with a friend of mine, uh, Michael Hagen, who lives in Shanghai right now. We were talking about coming to the next Okinawan World Tournament and competing, um, him doing Yamaniryu and me doing uh, Matayoshi Koburo, yep. and then him doing uh, uh, Shorunryu and me doing Gojiryu, and we'd be you know, kind of representing that original Shitoryu of Shirite and Nahate yeah. plan, yeah. which would be fun. Um, I, I would really like to do it, and I think if I came to that event, I don't, I don't know that I would even care about where I placed. I think it would just be really cool to go and just participate in that that event. You know, so I'm writing down a note here because I want to ask you a different question. Sure. Um, but let's talk about. Michael, because we did talk about Michael when the cameras weren't rolling, sure. but I want to get some information from you. Yeah. Um, there's a project unfolding, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Michael Hagen has set up the Apex Karate Performance. And I don't know if he really wants me to put too much out there, okay. but because uh, it's not it's not public right now. It's okay. still like private with a select group of dojos in um, East Coast USA, and then uh, we just picked up another athlete in Japan. Um, but essentially, it's a platform for competitive athletes in karate who want to develop their competitive karate. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some athletes don't have access to coaching, and they just do what they do in the dojo and then show up to a tournament and then are frustrated with their performance because it's not the model of the sport karate. Mm-hmm. So they might you know leave their dojo and be like, well, my karate's not good. No, your karate's probably really good, mm-hmm. but it's not the model of sport karate. So it's going to provide an avenue for people who want to develop as athletes in the sport karate world mm-hmm. and understand the differences between dojo karate and tournament karate, because there is a big difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's something that came up, uh, what I took a note there. Sport karate, tournament karate versus what you're seeing in um, your dojo here in Okinawa, uh, Shobukan, but also your previous training in Tang Soo Do mm-hmm. versus tradition. You're you're living it now. You're in Okinawa. Yeah. You know, for a few weeks at a time, you come over this fourth time now. Yep. You're in traditional Okinawa karate. Mm-hmm. Compare and contrast if you can. Tang Soo Do versus traditional Goju-ryu style. Yeah. So Goju-ryu and Tongsudo are just, yeah, wildly different. You 180 know? degrees out of phase. Yeah, yeah, they really are. You know, Tongsudo, um, if I could equate it to an Okinawan style, it would be Shorinru, right? It's a, it's a shurite-based system um, that is 
got Korean influence now. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that every Tongsudo Dojo or Dojang, as they call it, is the same either, right? Like, just like in Okinawan karate, you've got really good instructors and you've got some not so great instructors, but that are still out there putting it out there. Um, Master Robinson, I was very fortunate that I was a part of his Dojang. Um, he is true to the Tongsudo tradition, and a lot of the the way he ran classes are similar to how Okinawans and Japanese run classes, but maybe with a little more uh, American influence, I think, um, in, especially in like the rigidity of structure. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes Americans can get caught up in just like, we've got to uphold this tradition, so we get really rigid, and sometimes Okinawa, they're like, you know, I remember one my last trip I came to Okinawa, and I walked to the dojo, and I got there, and, and Sensei was like, CB, uh, training time or Orion time? You, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> yes. Orion is the local beer, right? On yeah. Okinawa, I've talked about it on the Okinawa Karate Podcast many times, but this is true. Yeah. This is Okinawa. Yeah. Um, and many times, there's class, and then there's the second class. Yeah, immediately after that. Immediately after uh, that, yeah. you know, at the izakaya or whatever. I'm yeah, and sometimes you learn a lot more. Yeah. in that in that second yeah. class. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is Okinawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, quite laid back. Quite laid back. Yeah, where I think you know, in Tongsudo, especially with Master Robinson, he was he was very much like. This is how we're supposed to do it. This is how we're going to do it, um, which is not a bad thing. You know that definitely preserves what they do. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I think there's there's some really good in that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So now uh, this is your path, though. Go to do. Um, do you? Uh, I mean, I I don't see why you would ever stray away from that. Um, but. Not only the Gojiru side of it that you're that you're getting here, but you're getting the traditional Kobodo as well. Yeah. And you just had uh, something pretty special happen yesterday. Yep. I was invited to the monthly meeting of the Zenokinawa Kobodo Renmei, uh, where they just all members from different styles of karate, same style of Kobudo, right? So there was Uechiru masters and Chodenru masters, Gojiru, everybody. Uh, coming together to train specifically in the Matayoshi lineage of Kobudo, that is the Zenokinawa Kobudo Renmei. And while I was at the training, I also kind of was surprised by testing as well. And testing here in Okinawa is a lot different than testing back home too. I actually didn't know that I tested until after it was done. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You were just doing kata. Because yep. that's what you were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. so yep, I was, I was just following along with what they asked me to do. Um, and then Takshi Sensei, who is kind of leading the group, who also happens to be part of my karate organization, and he's who I spend the most amount of time with when I'm here on Okinawa. Um, he was discussing uh, a particular type of body movement while doing kata with like the whole group and then he asked me to come up and demonstrate and I thought he wanted me to demonstrate 
what he was talking about. So I did the kata and I really made sure to emphasize like the the body mechanic that he was talking about and everybody was like, oh yeah, that is good. And uh, but this was with a weapon? This was with a weapon, a bow? yeah. Bow? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, so I demonstrated two bow katas that he asked me to demonstrate and then so at the end he said something about me testing for Yondan and I was like, oh, well, you know, when when is that going to happen? And he was like, no, you are, you just did. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's probably a good thing that you didn't know that, right? Yeah, because, probably. Because uh, the nerves yeah. uh, can, can play a part. Uh, play a big part sometimes. Yeah. Um, yep. Good. Yeah, so that was definitely exciting. So I got promoted to my fourth degree in That's awesome. Kobudo. Congratulations. Thank man. you. That's Thank fantastic. You. Do you teach weapons back at your dojo in Virginia? I, I do. Um, I have a very small group that comes to Kobudo class, though. Not everybody likes to do it. Um, I At first, I thought everybody was going to really like it because when I was coming up, yeah. and they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to do weapons. I was like, yes, fantastic. let's yeah. go. But I, I think... I think sometimes kids can get a little overwhelmed with Kobudo, mm -hmm. and I think it's easier for my the adults that I have now. It, it seems like it's easier for them to make the connections and the differences mm -hmm. between Kobudo and Karate. Uh, what's your favorite weapon? Uh, probably the bow. I, I, you know, I think that's for Matayoshi Kobudo. I think that's probably the most important yeah. weapon there is is the bow. Um, but beyond that, you know, we've played around with a little bit of the like more eclectic weapons like the kua or the the, the ho mm -hmm. which is fun to do i like that one and the sunsetsukon the three-sectional staff is fun you know matayoshi koburo's got a lot you know we've got like the suruchin which is like a rope with rocks at the yeah. end of it and you know all kinds of stuff yeah. so can i ask which kata you had to perform yesterday yeah so i did sken no kun and uh sakugawa no kun oh yeah a higher level kata as well then yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. very good very good yep they're um they're my two favorite kata anyway so yeah. i was kind of fortunate that those are what i had to do yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well that's good maybe sensei knew that yeah i think as well he when he asked you to go out there i think so uh, what about empty hand uh what 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 katas um you know if you're gonna uh ask to do one for a, a demonstration or performance what would you go uh, towards typically Depends on the week, but right now I think I would be doing Shisochin. Yeah, that's okay. um, probably my favorite goju kata right now. Um, I think it's got a lot of obvious application, yeah. and there's a lot of movements in there too that I think you can kind of find some hidden application yeah. with as well. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. I like, I like Shisochin. Good stuff. Or, or Kudurufa. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> if people want to follow you, Yep. If they want to get in touch with you, if there's students in Virginia mm -hmm. um, that are looking for a dojo, mm -hmm. how how can people track you down? Um, so probably the fastest way would be through my Instagram, uh, and my Instagram tag is JCV67. Okay. Yeah, just like that. And then I have a website as well, which is shobukanva.com. Okay. Um, all of our class information and stuff is on there. So, fantastic! Accepting ways. new students always. The okay. dojo is always accepting new ages. Students. What's the youngest you'll accept? So I have a we call it the Shisa class, and they're my four-year-olds to six-year-olds. Yeah. So we've got a, my my youngest is four, and I don't know if she wants me to say how old my oldest. Yeah. Is. <laughs> That's fine. That's, That's good. Yeah. That's good. But your class structure then you have uh, four to 
six year olds, mm-hmm. and then seven to uh, typically like seven to like ten or eleven. Yep. Yep. And then you know those then it goes into my teens and then my adults. Okay. Good. Yeah. And so our class structure is it's very set too. So Monday night is my kids like the seven year olds to twelve year olds and teens, and it's always kata and kion. Okay. Tuesday night is my shisa class and my adult class again always kata kihon wednesday is um kumite all okay. kumite and okay. then thursday back to adult and shisa kumite or okay. whatever we're doing that night adults don't always do as much kumite as my teens and kids do because yeah. you know they they want to do more bunkai or yep. more kata study yep. or whatever and then friday night we do kobudo um and then i also have my competition class kind of peppered in throughout different times of those nights too we meet five nights a week and then i do a i have like a a special class on saturdays um it's kind of a private lesson but if i had more students like this student i'd probably open it up to more people but she's completely blind okay uh i saw a video i saw the video you posted yeah that's that's fantastic by the way thank you i think Um, she she's she does the work i mean it's easy for me right i just come in there and i kind of move her around a little bit but she's the one who memorizes everything and you know so jonathan posted a video of one of his students who was blind um doing a kata Mm -hmm. and uh, i thought that was that was great. Thank you. Show yeah. that. So it's um it's been a really unique challenge in developing my teaching because I can't just talk. I can't just yeah. I, and I can't even just demonstrate yeah. either. Like I have to I have to think like really critically about how to present information to really? to Mariah. Yeah. How did she find you? Did she know you? Uh, nope. Um, so one of my black belts and her are good friends, um, and they were part of a I think a Dungeons and Dragons campaign together or something like that and you know she had expressed interest in doing karate so her friend um, Ariel came to me and was like what do you think would would you be okay if she came in and you know just checked it out and tried I was like yeah that'd be really Mm -hmm. cool like I'd I'd love something like that to happen that'd be really great fantastic yep that's really awesome yep and so for her it's even a bigger challenge because she wasn't born blind or anything like that she actually just lost her vision um Mm. like two years ago a year and a half two years ago so she's learning how to be blind now so yeah she she works hard she's fantastic yeah. That's awesome. You're going to bring me to tears here on the Okinawa Karate Podcast. That, that's great. Yeah. That's really awesome. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's good. So, ShobokanVA.com, yep. JCV67 on Instagram. I think we're going to wrap it up. Yep. And uh, go do something fun. Maybe go outside and take some pictures of you doing sidekicks or something like that. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Told you we were going to do that. Yeah, so. let's do it. Jonathan. Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate it. I'm glad that we got to finally meet in yeah, person. Me you know? too. Me too. And uh, thank you, Master Kevin Robinson for and Drew Hobbs for yep. hooking us up. I'm actually going to go tell him some stories about Drew Hobbs that we can't say on the Oakland Ooh, Friday podcast. Looking forward to hearing that for next time I go to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm actually going back to see them in a couple weeks. So, ah, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Some blackmail material. Yeah. <laughs> no, Perfect. No, he's, he's a great guy. Yep. He is. But uh, anyway... As always, thank you for tuning in to the Okinawa Karate Podcast. I am Josh Simmers coming to you from the birthplace of karate, Okinawa, Japan.